This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, last week we were talking about bored. You guys ever get bored? During the pandemic, there's a lot of people who are bored because they're not able to get out and do the things they did before. But I'm asking you, or have you been restored? Restored. Restored. And, and you know, there's opportunity to restore everything. Restore your health to you. Restore a right relationship between you and God. Right relationship between, you know, uh, husbands and wives, between parents and children. Uh, restoration of health, restoration of finance. There's just so many areas, and God specializes. And you understand restoration, you know, restoration is an ongoing process. Now, you ever seen me do this before, dear? Lots of times. Because I'm always restoring my blade to where it's extremely sharp. Or you can just kind of maybe take the hair right off of your arm because people don't cut themselves with a sharp knife. It's a, it's a fact. You got a dull knife and you're exerting lots of energy. Oh, ouch, you know. But restoration of many areas of our life is a process, an ongoing process, just like keeping a nice sharp edge on my knife there's this ongoing process, and it keeps it good and sharp. So restoration is very similar to that. And it says here in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let. Here the word let. That means like allow. Allow God. You, you gotta, God will not transform you. Without your permission. Did you know that? He will not. It says, but let or allow God, but allow God to transform you into a, what's that say? A new person. And it's your choice. If you want to let God bring about transformation in your life into a new person, it's your choice. And you can go, no, I'm happy with just the way I am right now. And you don't have to allow or let God transform you into a new person. And he says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. And as we read this book, we begin to think, wow, that that makes sense. We begin to think more like Christ. We really genuinely do. And it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And you can resist that. No, no, I, I don't want change. No, 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 I don't want transformation. No, no, I'm happy just the way I am. So you can resist him transforming your life into a new person if you want to. And it says by changing the way you think. Because sometimes we got what I've called, and you've heard me say this probably before, sometimes we got what this is, the stinking thinking. And, and we need to change our stinking thinking to think more the way God thinks, you know. That's why he gives us his, his word. So it says, let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. Then, if we say, yes, God, you can transform me, and we begin to learn the thoughts that God has, then you will learn to know God's will for you. Oh, that's pretty awesome. To learn, have you ever prayed, oh, God, just give me your will, just show me what it is you want me to do. But you know, not just a major call on your life, but did you know you can learn what God's will is for your life? Every day of your life, when you get up and you start your day and you have your breakfast or lunch or dinner or, or whatever you do, did you know you can know what God's will is? You know? So he says here, then you will learn. It's not something you're just born with. Then you will learn to know God's will for you and his will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, you probably all know this very deep theological, you know, story. It goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men, not just all the educated, intellectual, scientists, doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. But I'm going to tell you something. King Jesus specializes at restoration. And he puts your and my life together again. If you've got a broken heart, he puts it together again. You've got a broken relation, he can put those things together again. Broken body, broken finances. Do you know that God can put all these things together? If we let him, if we allow him, if we're willing to change our stinking thinking to begin to think the way that God does. Anyhow, I'm going to read this Romans 12 to, one more time, but I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified Classic. It says, do not be conformed to or do not become like or fit in with this world or this age fashioned after, which fashioned means shaped or, or twisted or formed. Don't, don't, don't be fashioned after and adapted to its eternal superficial customs. Don't become like the world, but be transformed. And that just basically means change, like caterpillar changed into a butterfly, transformation. But be transformed by the entire, what's that next word? Renewal. Same word as restoration here. But be transformed by the entire renewal, the restoration of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude. And I'm going to tell you something. This book right here will change our ideals and our attitudes. We'll, we'll, we'll have the mind of Christ. We'll begin to think like Christ. And that's why people would call us, hey, you must be a Christian. Well, well why do you think? Well, you act like Jesus, you know. Oh, okay. And well, consider that a compliment. But once we're restored to a close relationship with God, we've become a restorer. That is, when there is a genuine restoration with a close relationship with God, we become a restorer because that's what God does. He's in the midst of restoring people all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God is in restoring, making us new people, forgiving our sins, working miraculous ways in our body, our soul, and our spirit. He genuinely is. I believe in the gospel of grace. 
by faith and by faith alone. I believe only through Jesus' blood the sins of mankind are atoned. I believe grace cleanses the effects of evil and sin. I believe Jesus, our very souls, died so them he could win. I believe grace pardons the guilty and shamed face. I believe Jesus upon himself took the brunt of our disgrace. I believe the grace I believe grace heals the hurt, the pain, the ache. I believe Jesus, our hearts can soften, reform, and remake. I believe grace gives rest to the depressed and friendless. I believe Jesus came to save all who are lonely and hopeless. I believe in the gospel of grace. By faith and nothing more, I believe God's gift of grace redeems, heals, and restores. His grace heals, redeems, and it restores, it renews, it revives us. It genuinely does. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And restoration is the gift of God. To restore us into right relationship, close relationship with God, it is a gift. We can't earn it. And all the restoration that affects us, body, soul, and spirit, and relations, and, and all those things, finances and health, all that restoration is a gift from God. And we just got to receive it. We've got to believe it. God wants restoration. He wants to heal our broken hearts. He genuinely does. This is what it says here. We read this last week. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, and it says, So I will restore. God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, I will restore that which has been destroyed by the locust. Now, anybody here remember Bill Adams? Bill Adams is a dear friend of mine. He came to church here for many a year. But Bill Adams, I don't think I ever was with Bill. And he went to the Lord in his mid-90s, I think it was. He went to be with the Lord. But, you know, I knew him for about 30-some-odd years. And... I don't think I ever got together that he didn't quote that verse. You know, God restores the years that the, the locust or the canker worm or all those things have destroyed or taken from me. Because Bill Adams didn't come to know Jesus until he was around 65 years old. That's how old I am. You know, and I'm thinking, well, my, maybe I'm getting ready to go slide down in the streets of golf. Well, Bill Adams made another 30 years. And he was always talking about God restores all that the devil has stole away from me every day, every hour. God restores. That's what he does. He is special at that. That's what God does, you know. And uh, he was so thankful that God had restored to him and given him so many years beyond when he first came to know Christ. And you know what? Bill Adams was always riding his mountain bike. He was always gardening and bringing you some vegetables. But he was always speaking up for Jesus wherever he went. And he was so thrilled that God had restored him and he knew him in a very personal way. And, and he let that out of the bag all the time. He really would. So listen to what it says here in uh, Isaiah chapter 57. 
It says, God says, what's that say? Rebuild uh, the road. Reconstruct or, or remake it, you know. It says, God says, rebuild the road. Clear away the rocks and, and the stones. And just so you can kind of get an illustration of that, you know. He says, clear away that stuff, you know. Just clear away the, the rocks and the stones. Rebuild the roads. Clear away the, the rocks and stones. Like restoring power to your home after a hurricane hit. Y'all know what it looks like when a hurricane hits? <laughs> we didn't get really much rain out of that hurricane that came out recently, but we got a lot of wind. And uh, there was a lot of debris in my yard and on the roads back to the church. There were trees down in roads for at least a week. There was all this debris everywhere. And in order to bring power back to your home, has everybody got power? Anybody don't have power? Because up to about a week ago, there were some people who still didn't have power yet. But we got to remove the debris in order to get power back into our homes. And sometimes we got to remove some debris that's in our lives to bring the power of God back into our lives. And that's just a whole restoration process. He says here, rebuild the road, clear away the rocks and stones. Oh, so my people can return from captivity. That's talking about restoration because the devil wants to capture us and control us and that we will become powerless. But sometimes there's some debris that's laying on the power lines and there's some things that has broken that relationship between us and God and we get distracted, wander off course and we got to move all that stuff that comes between us and God we got to remove it and rebuild the roads, you know, so we can go free. Verse 15 says, the high and lofty one, that's talking about the almighty God who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those, and this word here, that very well is talking about you and me. He says, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite. That means their spirits are sorry, they're remorseful, they're repentant. God says, I live with those who are really sorry for their sins and they're remorseful. They really feel bad for what they did. And, 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 and you know what repentance is, right? Repentance is an about face, changing directions. I was going away from God, but now I'm going back toward him. And he tells us right here, he says, I live, I live in the high and holy place with, with. And if you're one who has really been sorry and remorseful for your sins and you've turned from those things, God lives with those whose spirits are contrite and humble and humble. And listen to what he goes on to say here. What, what's it say? I, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble. Crushed because of the shame of our sin. Well, we're crushed because of the shame. We're very remorseful because of the shame of our sin 
and we humble ourselves so much that we'll confess, say, Lord, I, I let you down. I, I missed the mark. I did something I shouldn't have done. Almighty God, and please forgive me. You said if I confess my sins, you, you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse me from every wrong. That's what he promises to do. I want you to see this. First John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if, this is conditional, if we claim we have no sin, I wonder if I dare do what a pastor when I was just a young teenager. I was, I was probably still in, you know, uh, elementary school. And the pastor in the church, there was less than 100 people there, and he asked this question. He said, is there anybody here who has never sinned? And there was a lady sitting over there about where you're sitting. Not that you've done anything wrong, okay? But when I was, it's burned into my mind. I see this lady, I can visualize her face. And she was sitting over there and she raised her hand. He said, what I said was, is there anybody here who has never sinned? And she stuck it up even higher. And she kept it up until he changed his theme and went on to something else. And she actually believed or at least she boldly stated it, no, I have never sinned. Do you believe her? I didn't believe her back then because she was not extremely kind to me in the first place, you know. Anyhow, it says in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Because we're a liar when we say, well, I've never sinned. The Bible says you're a liar. Listen on. It, it, just, it just clarifies it even more. Verse 9 says, but if we confess our sins to the pastor. Who? If we confess our sins to him, to the almighty God, that's who we sin against in the first place. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. God is faithful, and he'll always be faithful to his word and just. That means true to his own nature and true to all of his promises. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from half of our wickedness. All. What percentage is all? 100%. And God forgives us if we confess it to him. We admit, yes, I have sinned against you. And we confess it to him. He says, he forgives us and cleanses us from 100% of wickedness. All of it. Not just a little bit. There's not even a little teeny tiny drop there. Not a crumb there. God forgives us and he says he cleanses us from all wickedness. And he goes on to say, if we claim we have not sinned, like that lady did when I was a youngster, if we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a what? Uh, what's that? A, a, a liar! No, I've not sinned. That woman, when I was a kid, she was calling God a liar because the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. The ways of our sin is death, and we need a Savior. That was the truth of it. 
He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. Pastor Ron, that is terrible. Use your Bible that way. I think as a demonstration to show you not having God in your life, I think it's a great object lesson. That's better than just leaving your Bible on the coffee table and you have to dust it before somebody comes over because it's not been opened and looked at for a long time. I think that's a good use of it. I love it and it's dear to me. But I think we need to understand what the scripture says here. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Isaiah 57, we've already read it, but let me read verse 15 one more time. It says, and I'll read the whole first. The high and the lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and the holy place with those whose spirits are contrite, who are sorry, you know, remorseful and repentant and humble. And then he goes and says, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble. And what's that next word? And I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts who turn from their sin, and they turn to God. He says he revives our courage. He restores our courage of those who are genuinely repentant, you know. That's what he's talking about right here. Now, Microsoft has had a Windows operating system called Windows Me. Anybody ever heard of that? It's called Windows Me. Having a system restore feature, you can find them there, at least as you used to, it says system restore. And if your system crashes, all you have to do is select system restore, system restore, and specify the date to which you want your machine reset or restored. And everything you've messed up, is put back as it was on that earlier day. When you go back to a certain, I want everything restored from that point on. Can you imagine a computer could do such a thing as that? That'd be great if, if that worked for humans, wouldn't it? I don't think system restore on a computer would work on humans, you know. But do you remember the day that you crashed? You've fallen short, you've made some mistakes, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, or you did things that you weren't supposed to do, you know, and you would give anything to restore things the way they were. I'd just give anything to restore back to me the way things were. Oh, if there was a system restore, well, I'm going to tell you, there is. Confess your sins to Almighty God. Let him know that you've missed the mark that you fall short. And he said he will forgive us for all of our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. System restore. 1 John 1.9. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For since we were restored to friendship with God, we were restored into a relationship with God. We had one, but we kind of drifted off course and we, we left him and we wandered. But since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son 
on the cross, you remember, that's Jesus. While we were still his enemies, we were restored to friendship with God because what Jesus did, although we were still God's enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. We will be, he says here, delivered from eternal punishment. And that's in a place called hell by Jesus' life. That's that resurrection life that raised him from the dead. Because Jesus died for us, we're restored as, as friends of God. Although we're still his enemies, he loves us crazy. And because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we are delivered, as the Bible says, from eternal punishment by his life or by his resurrection. Verse 11 says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. We can rejoice because we wandered off, off track there and we just made a mess of things, but we've been restored to a wonderful relationship with God. Oh, this is fantastic. This is almost too good to be true. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. He restored us. And I want to let you know something. Because of what Jesus, Father has restored us into right relationship. And he's not kind of going like, I got my, I'm, I'm watching you. I remember what you did once. I've forgiven you, but I got my eye on you. Is that what God's doing? Is he looking and waiting for you to make a mistake? Not at all. Did you know that God believes in you? He believes that you're going to live your life for him. You're going to walk in life for him. God believes in you. Do you believe in him? That's the question I'm asking you right now. Hmm. He forgives us. And he throws our sins in the, the sea of forgetfulness. The word restore, this is interesting. I really like this. The word restore means to reinstate, to renew, or to mend. Have you ever dislocated a part of your body? Last year, Susan dislocated her shoulder. And I can tell you, it was painful. You know, because, oh, man, every time she moved, oh, she was hollering and she was grimacing. And it was, was it pretty painful? Until it got relocated. Once it was restored to where it's supposed to be, oh, man, all the pain just went away. And when I was in uh, high school playing a sport, I dislocated my finger. Anybody ever dislocated a finger? And I think I might have dislocated my toe a couple of times in the house, just getting up in the middle of the night and kicking something or another, you know. But I'll tell you what is fantastic when it is relocated, is it not? And anyhow, it says the word restore means to reinstate, to renew, to mend, to refurbish. I mean, to fix up, you know, and to restore. It's talking about completely. Not just, I'll just put a little Band-Aid on it. It'll be okay in, you know, about 10 years or something. No, no, that's not what God does. This tense of this word, restoration, is a continuous presence. An ongoing process, like I showed you, sharpening my knife. This word restoration, the tense of this word is the continuous presence. Suggesting the necessity of patience 
I know you don't like that word. Patience. There's another one, perseverance, you know. But let me ask you, I know we don't like to be patient, but are you glad that God has been patient with you? Because if God wasn't patient with us, our goose would have been cooked a long time ago. But he's so patient because he loves us and he's crazy about us. That's just the truth of it. And the price paid for our restoration was the death of Jesus. He shed his life blood. And that was the price that was paid. And therefore, God is extremely patient with you and me, drawing us back to himself, wanting just to forgive us and just to love us and to believe in us. And, and God doesn't give people a second chance. <laughs> he gives us another chance because we used our second chance up years ago. Is that right? We've needed more than just one more chance. We, we've had to use many of those up, I'm telling you. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned, God has been diligently working to, to, to restore each one of you back into right relationship with himself. God, he, he loves that concept of restoring you into relationship with himself because he's crazy about you. He loves you and he believes in you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to the cross. Because God believes in you. He believes if you're going to accept his son, he believes you're going to receive the forgiveness and, a, and another start. You know, that's what he believes. Now, quite a few years ago, I was a pastor at the time, but we would get out and try to find every dirt road in Connecticut. You know, and I've probably been on every dirt road in Connecticut, to be honest with you. Because I was an old country boy, and we got over there to walk it. We didn't know what a walk it was way back in them days. But it was up on a high hill, and I found any way I could find to access a dirt road. And I found a dirt road, and we wandered around through the dirt road, and we drove over a rock pile, and we drove through a giant mud hole, and we just kept on going. And then I found a place where people had been dumping junk. And I looked over the cliff there, and I was looking, I was like, Wow, there's a boat down there. It says cypress. I mean, it was only a nine-foot boat made out of cypress slats overlaid with a thin layer of clear fiberglass. And I looked at it. It's just like the way you would look at a kitten or a puppy. It's like, oh, that poor little thing. I should probably take it home with me. So I did. Put it in the garage right up there. It's an office now. And I worked for months at restoring that boat to usefulness. Oh, the front was tore off of it. There's holes all in the thing. You know, that's why they throwed it away in an old dump. And some people has had their lives thrown away in a garbage dump of life. But I, I brought it home and I could see that it could be used again, useful. So I began to work at it, and I restored every part of that boat that was damaged. And then had the game wardens and the officials come down here and put a new serial number on the thing, you know. And then I was at a tag sale. I very seldom go to tag sales because I, I'm teaching and studying on Saturdays and Sundays. But there was one, I don't know why enough, but I went to a tag sale. I mean, Susan was there, and I saw a motor for a boat. It was made back in the 1940s, a Johnson motor, 
And it's like, you know what? It looks so lonely there. Just like a little kitten and it needed a playmate, you know? So I took it home. And I worked a good little bit on it and I restored it. But you know, I took that boat and put that motor on it, got all the, the registration all figured out, got all the numbers on and we took it out. And we just went up and down the, through all the lakes and a little bit on the rivers and fished and you know, we went through some great big old choppy waters that I was like, what have I got myself into, you know, a time or two? Because it's just a little short thing and I had my whole family, that's five of us in our gear. The boat was full, but we got back to shore during that storm. God is looking to restore you and those that you know to usefulness. He don't want to just chunk us and trash us on the, you know, uh, garbage heap of life. And some people feel like, well, my usefulness is over. I made a mistake and, and it's just over with. And that's just not the truth. God is looking to restore you and use you. He wants to restore you to usefulness. That's what I'm talking about. And you know what? When I came to know Christ, it became a reality to me. It was not too long after I came to know Christ. I knew that God had restored me to a relationship with him. No longer just living a religious life, but to a relationship. And I became keenly aware that God wanted me to use my life to restore others to a relationship with him. Because, see, once you have been restored to a right relationship with God, you become a restorer. Because if you go hang out with God, that's what he's always doing. He's restoring people. He's restoring people, you know, who've drifted away and wandered away. And he's restoring people. The ongoing process, like sharpening your knife, just keeping a sharp edge on. That's just what happened to me. Let me read that verse one more time. We started off with it today. In Romans 12, verse 2, and it says, And let, or allow God, to transform you into a new person. Are you willing to allow God to bring transformation to your life? Are you willing to allow God to use you to bring, bring transformation to somebody else's life? I'm going to tell you, that's the most awesome thing you can do. If you go by a motel that's got 200 people in it and the thing is on fire, how many people do you want to get out? 25? Is, is that a pretty good number? If your house caught on fire and you got a bunch of kids, how many of your kids do you want to get out? All of them. And that is the thing, the heartbeat of God is to bring every man, woman, boy, and girl into a close relationship with him so he can restore their broken hearts and restore their dreams and restore their usefulness. God is in the restoration business, what I'm talking about. And once you truly are restored, you will become a restorer, you know. Now, I've seen some really beautiful pieces of furniture that Tom Brzezinski has, you know, he, I asked him, and he showed me these pieces of furniture, and he picked them up, I don't know, at a tag sale, somewhere, you know, and they weren't necessarily too wonderful when he picked them up, but he restored them. And you got to take off whatever is old and is no longer useful and restore it, and then he had these Awesome pieces of furniture. You ever seen someone restore a piece of furniture? It's like, wow. But when you would have first saw that thing, you might have just left it in the garbage heap of life. But God specially designed 
That's his heart for you is to bring restoration. And when you and I know him in a close way, we can't help but to become a restorer ourselves. Now, I'll tell you something. Did you know the Bible says to pray for the leaders of your land, to pray for the kings? And, and we often, I mean, Susan and I are always praying for our president and vice president. We're always praying for them. But one thing I recognize, and we're doing what the Bible says to do, one thing I recognize is that our president right now, he has a heart of restoration for our nation because it's always been his theme. Make America great again. He's talking about we've, we've wandered off course and we've made some bad decisions, but his whole heartbeat, his whole campaign, his whole term in office still is, is to make America great again. There's a heartbeat of restoration in him to make it great again because we were great. And our forefathers put that, you know, statement on the dollar bill and on all the coins that says, in God we trust. And that's what brings restoration. That's what makes us great. Again, Galatians. You know, what happens if we don't become great? What happens if our nation is not restored? We can become a socialist nation. We can become a communist nation. We could just continue to degrade and degrade and degrade. But God wants to restore us into right relation and close relationship with himself. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, live, what's that word? Live creatively, friends. He's talking about live inspired and resourceful and, and using your imagination. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, as people have a tendency of doing, have you ever fallen into some kind of sin? Sure you have. And if you're saying, no, you haven't, you're a liar, you know, because we've all fallen into some kind of sin at some point in time. No matter how big it is or how little it is, you know, a dump truck full of arsenic or just a little pinch will kill you. You know that. Anyhow, I said, live creatively, friends. And if someone falls into sin, he says, forgivingly restore him. Forgivingly. It's like, well, you fell into sin. Well, you no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. You, I'm going to put it in the newspaper and I'm going to tell everybody who I know about you fell into sin. Is that what the Bible says? He says, live creatively. Friends, and if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments. For who? For yourself. Let me see here. <laughs> yeah. Safe your criticism for that guy. Can you see that guy? When I look at, like, well, that's me. And when you look at, you, you probably would see you. And he says right here in his word, forgivingly, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly, your goal is to restore that person, not to criticize them. 
but to restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Has that ever happened to you? You need a little bit of forgiveness? So don't be critical of other people. What's the golden rule say? Does anybody remember? Do unto others as you would have others to do unto you. Do unto others the way you would have others to do unto you. So he says, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. And then he says in verse 2, stoop down. That means what? Get on their level. That means don't look down on them. Don't put them down. But he says, God's word says, you stoop down so you can see eye to eye to this person who has sinned. And they're beginning to think that there's no hope for them. That it's all over with. That's what the devil's whispering in their mind. And the Bible goes on in verse 2. It says, stoop down. Don't put them down. Don't look down on them. Stoop down and reach out to those. Reach out. Reach out to those who are oppressed. I mean, that means those who are bow beaten and, and, and those who are... You know, they're going through all this crazy stuff and, and now they're really broken. He says, reach out to those who are oppressed and share their burden and so complete Christ's law. What is Christ's law? Love one another. Complete Christ's law. What does Christ do when you have sinned and you've missed the mark. What does he do? Does he stoop down and get on your left and say, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. And does he reach down and grab a hold of us and lift us back up? And the good Samaritan, when he was on his way, and he saw a man had been robbed and beaten, and the Bible says left for half dead, he stooped down and poured in some oil and wine. It was a disinfectant and soup, and where he was bleeding that. And then he rode in on a donkey when he saw that guy in the ditch. But now he had to walk because he put that guy who was half dead on his donkey. And he took him to an inn and took care of him. That's what we've learned to do. And that's what the Bible says. Live creatively. Be creative how you work at restoring somebody else who's fallen into sin. And don't... if. It's okay to criticize people as long as they're wearing your face. And you're going to do it for a little while, you know. But stoop down, reach out to those who are oppressed and share their burdens. And so, complete Christ's law. There are many heroes in life. Some climb mountains. Some catch touchdown passes. Some knock home runs. But none are braver than the ones who are willing to take on the hurts of others. Like the Good Samaritan, like Jesus. And pump encouragement into them, giving them hope, even if it seems like the situation is hopeless. With Christ, ain't nothing hopeless. Nothing is hopeless. And that is a hero who goes through whatever they got to go through to give somebody hope and to lift somebody up out of the muck in the mire. 
and, and, and to go after them is what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and these are a couple of keys to restoration. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be gentle. Are you gentle when you're restoring people? Are you like, you, I knew it was going to happen, you jerk, you loser, you lowlife. Hopefully you don't say such things as that. He says here in Ephesians 4.32, be gentle with one another. Sensitive. Sensitive means being kind and tenderhearted. And forgive one another every 25 years. What does it say? Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. See, forgiveness is the key to restoration. And how quick does God forgive you when you ask him to? Instantly. When you come to go, Father, please forgive me. Please forgive me for hollering at my wife on the way to church. I'm so sorry. How long you got to wait to be forgiven? It happened the moment you confessed it to him. And the Bible tells us, Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. James chapter 5 verse 19 says, My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, write them off. Let me see. That little word makes a difference in that sentence, don't it? Don't it? My friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth. Don't write them off. Don't write them off. Oh, they, I, I knew there was a loser the whole time. Do not write them off. If you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Oh, they're just hopeless. No, they're not. Christ can put hope in anybody. My Bible goes, what's the next three words say? Go after them. Oh, they've wandered off from God's truth. Go after them. What's the next three words? Get them back. You know, someone's wandered away. You know, they, they've been led astray. They've been deceived. The devil's pounded on them because they had a weak moment. They did something they shouldn't have done. And the devil says, you'll never be used to God. God's not even going to let you in his heaven no more. And they begin to believe that kind of stuff. It's lies. The Bible says go after them and, and get them back. You know what, Bill Adams, my friend, I was telling you about a while ago, he was always talking about how God restores the years that the, the canker worm and the uh, locusts have stolen from us. And, and Bill Adams, uh, years ago, we had CBs. Well, I still got some CBs, you know. And the steeple houses one of my great big antennas because I can reach way down both directions of the road and talk to truckers about Jesus. That's just what we did. And Bill Adams, guess what Bill Adams' CB handle was? I was known, my handle, that means your name, I was referred to as the shepherd. Guess what Bill's was? Sheepdog. He gave it to himself. And it's just like, I'm out there and I'm chasing them down. I'm bringing them sheep back to Jesus. And every opportunity he had, he would talk about Jesus. 
He really did, you know. He was always trying to be a blessing. He was always bringing vegetables over my house. And when he was still growing vegetables and riding his mountain bike at, at, in mid-90s, and then he said, you know what, I'm not going to do this too much anymore. And he gave me his tiller, and that's the tiller that tills my garden to this day. And he was a sheepdog because he cared about people that other people had written off. He went after them to get them back into close relationship with Jesus. And then verse 20, it says, and you will have rescued. What? Precious lives. If you go after them and you get them back, you will have rescued or restored precious lives. And every life is precious. You will have restored precious lives from destruction. And you will have prevented an epidemic do you know what an epidemic is? Look at the dictionary. It's a pandemic. You understand pandemic? You understand outbreak? You understand a plague? And it says here, go after them, get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic. An epidemic of what? Of wandering away from God. Are you such a one as that who goes after them and you're going to get them back and you're going to recognize everyone out there is precious? And are you going to invest your time, energy, and your resources to prevent an epidemic of people wandering away from God? Let me ask you a question. If you could have done, or even now, if you could prevent the epidemic or the plague, as our president calls it, if you could prevent the coronavirus, would you? I can't hear you. And how much more if we could prevent this pandemic, this epidemic of people just, well, because of this, that, and another, they just wander away from God. If we could prevent them from wandering away from God, would we do it? God's word says, go after them and get them back. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Dr. Howard Hendricks tells a story of a young man who wandered away from the Lord but was finally brought back or or restored by the help of a friend who really loved him. Dr. Hendricks asked this man how it felt being away from the Lord. And the young man said, it seemed like I was out at sea in very deep water, very deep trouble And all my friends were on the shore just hurling Bible accusations at me about justice and penalty and wrong and hell. They just hurled these biblical accusations at me. But there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to me and would not let me go. And I fought him, but he pushed aside my fighting and he grasped me. You know what this is? He says, he grasped me and put a life jacket around me and took me back to the shore. And by the grace of God, 
He was the reason I was restored. He would not let me go. If someone has wandered from the truth and they don't know about Christ anymore, they're going the wrong way. Do we condemn them and criticize them or do we swim out to them? And I refuse to let you go. In my prayer life, I'm praying for you and everything I can do, I'm going to do my best and you might criticize me and speak bad about me, but I'm going to fight against that and say, no, 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 that's wrong. And I'm going to get a life jacket on you and I'm going to get you back to shore because you are a precious life. Too precious to let you wander away from the love of Almighty God. Do you really want people to know Christ is their Lord and Savior? Do you really want people to receive His forgiveness? That was a question. Go after them, <laughs> get them back. How? Creatively. Creatively. Just do whatever you got to do. Get them back. Let them know you love them. Let them know that God loves them. Listen to what it says here. What Paul had to say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It says, here is a word you can take to heart and defend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save good people. What? Jesus Christ came into the world... To save sinners. And the apostle Paul said, I'm proof. Public, this is the message Bible. Public sinner, number one. I was the worst of them all because Paul was putting Christians to death. He genuinely was. I'm number one. Of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. That was me. I was the worst of all. And, and he restored me, and now, what's it say he does? He shows me off. God's going, you see that man there? He used to have Christians put in the great big old stadiums where they had gladiators and, and lions and tigers and bears for real, and they would turn them loose to kill the Christians. That's what Apostle Paul used to do. Read your Bible, find out what happened. And if Paul says, how was the worst of all? Now God has put me on, the, on the, the podium and said, look what I've done for this man. I've forgiven him and I've changed his life and he's a new creature and I can do the same for you. He said that. That God, he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. And I'm telling you right now, you remind me. They tell me I can't step past this thing right here. You know, which I just did. Y'all supposed to let me know. I can't step by there, okay? Well, there are people all around you in your sphere of influence who are on the edge. Listen to what the scripture says here. To those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. There are so many people who are on the edge of trusting Christ. And all they need is not a great big old shove, just a little nudge. A little nudge. Hey, man, we in your corner. What can we do to help you? We're going to be praying for you. God loves you. Oh, no, he don't. Oh, yes, he does. And he told me specifically to let you know he forgives you. Are you serious? God could still use me? Absolutely. Because there are so many people around us who are on the very edge of trusting him forever. 
It says in verse 17, deep honor and bright glory to the king. Oh, to the king of all time, one God, immortal, invisible, ever and always. Oh, yes. And he's crazy about people, their precious lives he wants to restore. That's just the truth of it. God forgives us and he, he saves us from destruction. Maxie Dunham, president of Ashbury Theological Seminary in his book, the book was called This is Christianity. He told a remarkable story about Dr. Maxwell Maltz, a, a plastic surgeon. A man had been injured in a fire while he was attempting to save his parents from a burning house. He couldn't get to them, and they perished. His face was burned and disfigured, and he mistakenly interpreted his pain as God's punishment to him. And the man wouldn't let anyone see him, not even his wife. So she went to Dr. Maltz for health. And he told the woman, not to worry, I can restore his face. And the wife was not convinced her husband would let him help because he had repeatedly refused any help. Then she said, that's why I've come to see you, doctor. I want you to surgically disfigure my face so I can be like him. Because if I can share in his pain, then maybe he will let me back into his life. Dr. Maltz was shocked and he denied her request, but was so moved by the woman's love that he went to their home to speak with her husband. Knocking on the man's bedroom door, he called loudly, I'm a plastic surgeon, and I want you to know that I can restore your face. No response. Please come out. Again, there was no response. He continued several more times, still speaking through the door. And Dr. Maltz told the man about his wife's proposal. She wants me to disfigure her face, to make her face like yours in hope that you will let her back into your life. Whew. That's how much she loves you. Oh, man. There was a brief moment of silence and then ever so slowly, the doorknob began to turn. The way the woman felt about her husband is the way that God feels about you. Willing to be disfigured, to identify with you and to love you and show you how much he loves you. He humbled himself, the Bible says. Let me read it to you in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, he, Jesus, made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. And we know before that he was beaten terribly. Isaiah 52, 14 says, Many were amazed when they saw him, talking about Jesus, beaten and bloodied. So, what's that word? So disfigured. 
One could scarcely know he was a person. Jesus was disfigured so people couldn't even hardly tell he was a human. He did it to reach you and me and the people who have wandered away. And he says, go get them. He was disfigured to win their hearts and let them know he loves them and he paid for their sins with his disfigurement, his beatings, his crucifixion, and his death. What value do you place on a soul? Especially a lost soul. God says they're precious lives. What value do you place upon a lost soul? Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man, this is talking about Jesus, for the Son of Man came to this earth. He came to find and, what's that next word? Restore the lost. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to earth to have a vacation from heaven. He came here to find and restore the lost. Now, we don't have time for this. I only got just a couple minutes. But I would ask you to read the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. Before you go to fed tonight, Mark 5, chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. And it tells us that Jesus came to a certain shore, him and his disciples in a in boat. And as soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat, here, way off there, came a man running toward him. And this man was known in that town. He was demon-possessed and he was berserk. And he ran through the tombs the night and the day, hitting himself with rocks, cutting himself with sharp rocks. And many times they came and they would catch him so he wouldn't hurt himself. And they put chains on him. And you read it. It says they caught him and they chained him up. And every time, many times, he broke the chains. He broke the shackles off of his wrist. And he went free and he was just always shrieking and screaming in the tombs. Nobody could help him. Nobody was strong enough to control him until he met Jesus. And he came running up to Jesus and the demons that was in him took over. And they said, why are you coming here to torture us? And Jesus already said, you leave him. And Jesus said, what is your name? And the voice with garbled words said, Legions, because we are many. And Jesus says, leave. And they, please, please, Jesus, don't send us to those barren places. So, There's hogs up there. Send us into the hogs. And Jesus says, okay, be gone. Man fell to the ground, thought he was been dead, and the hogs all took off running down the hill as fast as they could run off the edge into the sea, and they all, 2,000 of them, the Bible tells you that, they drowned. The owner of the hogs and other people who was helping tend them, they ran to town, and they, the Bible says they told everyone. And the whole crowd of the town came out to see what was going on, and the first thing they saw, other than the hogs floating in the water, is that, the demon-possessed man who has been frightening and uncontrollable for years. And there he is, sitting his, he's got clothes on. And he's in his right mind. And he's got common sense. 
and he's listening and he's communicating. And they're going like, what has happened here? And then they, they were scared because Jesus had done this and they didn't know who he was. And they said, please leave our community. We don't want you here no more. You know? So Jesus and his disciples got into the boat and the demon possessed, who was demon possessed. He's been what? Restored. Into a close relationship with Jesus. He had his leg over the side of the boat. He's going, and Jesus says, no, you can't go with me right now. You go back home and you tell people what I've done for you. That was all he told him. And the man went back, and the Bible says there was ten cities around him, and he went to everybody, and all those cities, and those ten cities had been known, so says the Bible, to reject people who'd come in and try to share the gospel. But the next time missionaries who'd been commissioned to send them out, they went there, they were warmly received. Why? Because a man who had been demon-possessed was now restored into a close relationship with God. And he went back and he told them. Did he have a lot of Bible education? I don't think so. He just told them what Jesus said. Just tell them what I did for you. And if you and I will tell the people who've wandered off what Christ has done for us, we can bring them back to Christ. So read Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20 tonight if you can. I got one more verse and then we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone and new life has begun. I'm talking about restoration. Anybody, everybody can have a new life. Ain't nobody too far gone because God can restore every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet who will believe him and receive what he's done. Last verse, verse 18. And this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. Christ died on the cross. And this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the, what's that say? God has given us, that's talking about you and me, the task of reconciling, of uniting people to him. When you say you're a Christian, when you say you're a believer, when you say that God's restored you to a relationship with him, he has given us off, each one of us, the task of reconciling people to him. You might go by a burning building and go, well, I'm not a fireman. Just keep on going. You go by a burning house in your community, or you're going to say, well, I'm not a fireman. I'm just going to go home. Or would you do your best to reach your neighbor? Beat on the door. Break a window, you know. You got to rescue them. Get them out of that burning building. And you and I, he said... God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or an early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. 
But to lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. In the time it took me to read that poem, 39 people died. That, that's statistics. Every hour, 5,417 people go to meet their maker. 5,417 people die every hour. What are you going to do to help reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late? Be creative. Throw chains, throw rocks. We've done some pretty crazy things. If you've been here long, or you guys been watching us long, have we done some pretty crazy things? You look like you're saying, I'm crazy, but I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> Be creative to win men and women, boys and girls, to reconcile them to a relationship with God, because God, you will never bring a man or woman to God and goes, nope, can't save him. That will never happen. God will save and forgive every man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet. No exceptions. He'll forgive and he'll restore them. You know what? We're done. There's so much more to say, but we're done. And I pray. You know what? If all you, you can have your computer share. Every message I hear, I'm going to share with some friends who hopefully will share with some friends who hopefully will share it with some friends or, or I'll get them to make me some DVDs or cassettes or if necessary, we'll be creative. We'll make some eight tracks, okay? That was a message. To get the gospel out to somebody somehow, some way so they can come to know God in a close relationship and know the forgiveness of God and he has given not just the pastor but he's given us all this task. That's what he says in his word. To restore people, go after them, get them back. That's what he says. That's all of our task. That's our task. Well, I want to pray for you before we go. Can I get you to come up here with me, Susan? The first thing I want to pray for you about is to renew your commitment to Christ. Reaffirm your faith in him. And if you're here today and you've never declared Christ as your savior, or you, you guys are watching online, maybe you've never declared Christ as your Savior, then you declare it for the very first time today. And if you already know him, just declare what you already know today. Just declare it today. And I'm going to tell you, men and women, boys and girls, uh, you ask, you're going to receive the forgiveness of God. And then you're going to receive the task of letting everybody you know know what he's done for you. But would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. That's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And he gave his life blood. And he gave his life blood. Paid for all my sins. Paid for all my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And is knocking at the door of my heart. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus. And I welcome Jesus. As my Savior. As my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my soon coming King. And as my soon coming King. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. I turn from all that. 
I turn from all that. And I choose this day. And I choose this day. To live my life for you. To live my life for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that's you, let us know. Text us, email us, you know, whatever, so we can get you some materials that will help you grow in your faith. All free stuff, you know. If you're here, let us know. If you're online, just let us know. And now what I'm going to do is pray for you before you leave. And I want to tell you, if two of us agree on this earth concerning anything we ask, God will do it. That's what he says he'll do. You believe that? Absolutely. So what we want to do, if, if you have a need, I want you to stand where you are. We're going to pray for you. If right now we can't quite get you up here. It won't be long, I believe. But we're going to pray for you right there. And God answers whether you're praying on the phone or you're praying. And, and, and stand. And if you go, well, I'm doing pretty good, but I got a friend who needs some prayer. You stand in the gap for your friend. And that they'll come to know Christ. And they've got to meet their need. And he can use you somehow to nudge them closer to him. So would you pray for them first and then I'll close. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Father, you said that we could come boldly to your throne of grace and we could obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And Father, each one of these people standing represents a need. And yes. Father, we just ask right now, Father, that you would bring healing to yes, those Lord. that need physical healing. Father, that you would bring wholeness to those that are having emotional or anxiety or fear uh, yes, situations, Lord. Father. That you would bring wholeness of mind, Father, and wholeness in their soul. Lord, we ask that you would just bring restoration in relationships. Father, that those that are, are, are involved in intense relationships, Father, that you would bring peace. Yes, and that you Lord. would bring forgiveness and you would bring restoration to them again. Yes, Lord. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would work in every situation. And, Lord, those that are standing in the gap. Yes, Father, Lord. for loved ones or friends, Lord, that have not come to know Christ yet as their Savior. Yes, Lord, Lord, your word tells us that it is your will that none would perish. Yes. Father, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, Lord. And, Father, we believe that they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Yes, it will. And, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would send effective labors across the path yes. of these loved ones, Father. Father, yes. that you would send us, all of us, Lord. Yes, Father. That you would cause us to be effective laborers, Lord, that we would win others to Christ. Yes, Father. And, Father, that these loved ones, Father, that those that are hopeless and empty, Father, that they would come to know Christ as yes. their Savior. Because, Father, we know, we know that Christ is the only one who gives hope. Yes. We know that Christ is the only one who can set free. Yes. We know that Christ is the only one that can bring peace. Yes. And, Father, we ask that you would restore, that you would make whole, yes, that God. you would work miracles yes. in these lives. Father, heal those that are, that are hurting them, their own selves, Father, yes. that have... Physical ailments, Lord, those that are here today and they need healing for their bodies, yes, we just Father. ask that you would heal them, that you would restore them to good health in every way. Yes, Papa God. In Jesus' name, amen. And Papa God, I ask that you would enable us to prevent people from that epidemic, that pandemic of wandering away from you. Yes. I ask you to work a miracle and help us to speak and to encourage and to love people into your kingdom. Yes. 
Papa God, you said if two of us would agree on this earth concerning anything we ask it be done, and we're asking for all the needs in this room to be met. We're asking for all the needs that people are watching online, and they'll be watching and listening to us for days and weeks and months to come, and we ask you for a miracle. We agree right now that your healing, restoring power, your providing power will be there to meet the need. And then, oh God, empower us to go and tell people what you have done for us. That's all we can do. Lord, just help us to tell other people what you've done for us. Because we know you'll do the same for them. Bless these men and women who are here. Oh, they are so precious souls to you and to us. Bless them. Encourage them. Empower them. And Lord, I know you've restored them for usefulness. Use each and every one of us to nudge other people close to you. And all the people who agree with that says amen. Amen. And amen.